0: Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi.
1: I am Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for stopping by. Sales and marketing, marketing and sales. If you're listening to the show, you know that's kind of a combination I like to talk about, right? Singing kumbaya together, making sure that we're working to drive leads and opportunities and business growth for each other. Well, today on the show, I've got Leslie Green. She's a sales coach and founder of Green Consulting. Now, I've got about 24 years worth of experience focusing on business consulting, sales coaching, sales training, really directing and helping teams build their growth strategies. And, and really helping to shape those sales teams. Now, Leslie is interesting because as we were having our conversation, we've only known each other, you know, probably a little bit less than a year, but it turns out to be, we actually have a very rich history together. Uh, Leslie had worked in the printing industry and during my days in the advertising agency business, turned out to be, we were working with her printing company. While we never met because I wasn't on the creative or the production side. I just, we ended up knowing tons of people uh, together that, uh, that we've worked with over the years. And so that was really exciting, a little twist and turn that we'll get to hear about. So sit back, get out your notepad, as I like to say, take some notes. This will be a very educational show with Leslie Green. At Kraft, our team of marketers provide consulting, interim, fractional, and leadership services focusing on the strategic and analytical side of marketing. And we take a holistic view to drive business growth. We are marketing architects. We use research to gather the necessary insights from your customers, prospects, competition, and the market to develop fact-based approaches to building effective and efficient growth plans. We call them marketing blueprints. Companies work with us when they need to launch, scale, or even pivot their business. By understanding how your company is positioned and perceived in the marketplace, we can help craft your messaging to be more relevant to your customers based on their needs, wants, motivations, and behaviors to ensure your marketing investment is optimized. After all, you wouldn't build a house without a blueprint. So why are you building your business without one? To learn more, visit craftmarketingarchitects.com. As I mentioned, I have Leslie Green, founder of Green Consulting. She's a business coach, sales coach, sales trainer. Leslie, welcome to the Business Growth Cafe.
0: Thank you, Angelo. Excited to
1: be here. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. We've been talking about this for a few months, so I'm glad we could finally get it scheduled. Um, It was supposed to be in fall of 2021, but here we are in 2022, right in the first week. Um, Somebody asked me, uh, you know, sent me an email. uh, I think it was literally like January 2nd and said, you know, how's it going? I said, so far, so good. Day two, and we're moving forward.
0: I mean, yeah, it's been like, it's like 10 minutes, I'm
1: fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I hate to be say I'm sitting in the office, but I was at the time. But uh, yeah, it, it, you know, we're really only seven days in, and I feel already that we're like months in. I don't know. It's yeah. just, and that's good, because that means there's a lot of activity you know, a lot of opportunities. I, I, I've actually had about six new business opportunities already that came in right at the end of December and now here in this first week, which is causing a scramble because, you know, everybody wants to move very quickly on things. Um, and, and I think that's something we'll talk about because I, I have a couple questions about that. But first of all, welcome. And why don't you take a moment and tell the audience about you and your business and all that good stuff?
0: Thanks so much. Um, so I got out of college and went into a company, a merchant distribution environment, and they had a lot of sales training back in the day. And, um, <laughs> you know, it was really good, a lot of structure, a lot of, um, environments where I could learn and absorb. And I did that for a few years and then got into, uh, a commercial printing as a sales rep where I was, I could earn a lot of commission and I liked it because I would be evaluated on what I sold. It wasn't some arbitrary salary increase, and I liked to be compensated for my effort. So I figured out pretty early on, Angela, that I was really good at, at earning my way and proving myself. So, you know, the, the good thing when you're young is if you have a chip on your shoulder, it works for you, but you've got to figure out how to, mo- you know, modify that, modulate that so you don't become, you know, kind of a pain. But I was a pain, but I ended up at a really big, large national uh, top of the food chain quality-wise commercial printer. And and a lot of people think that means copiers, but what it means was back then, car brochures. uh, Southern California is the largest car marketing um, market in the country. And so there's a lot of revenue around that and annual reports went a lot of income paper. So it was a really good time. I I ended up turning into a sales manager and um, that turned into my consulting business, which is called Green Consulting, spelled weird. But I'm on... Year 26. Um, I started with one client that I knew. I always have had a big network. I'm a good networker, and I had one. I had the Capital Group, which was uh, downtown LA, American Funds, and he was a, a big buyer of printing. And he had me come in and evaluate his spend and his budget and his vendors. And so that turned into a bunch of other clients in the space. So my the beginning of my my business, it was national print and those kind of businesses and merchants as well, where they knew my expertise and I had a lot of credibility. So I got hired because I knew the market and they trusted me. So that was really instrumental in the beginning. And then um, I morphed into, um, again, I wrote a book along the way, which is right here. It's called Picture Yourself in the Life You Want. So it's a motivational sales book. I got into a KPMG with through a contact I had and did a big engagement with them, um, which went up and down the West Coast. It turned into 800 partners and managers. Um, I do manufacturing, distribution, professional services. Um, I've learned over the years, the many years, that there are a lot of sales nuances to the different industries and how salespeople, mostly B2B salespeople, need to customize and, and make their sales approach specific to who their client is. So um, I put together this spreadsheet a while ago when someone challenged me and said, sales is really generic. And I and it pushed my buttons. I said, no, no, it's not, which was good because it made me actually think about the different skills needed in the different industries. So in, in a professional services industry, <clears throat> you're maybe not worried about supply chain issues and you're not worried about manufacturing turnaround times, you might be worried about deadlines, but it's more of a negotiation. And in, in just for some examples, in manufacturing, it could be a really quick sales cycle because somebody needs something really quickly. But if it's in more of a financial industry or banking or, or distribution, it might be a longer sales cycle that has has more nuance and you have to develop the relationship differently. So I am a relationship-driven sale, outsource sales manager and sales coach. Helping salespeople improve their go-to-market strategy, become more effective, more quickly identify who the right prospect or target is, and then figure out how to meet them, build a relationship, and make money at it.
1: Okay. Before we go on, I have to ask a question. So you were in the printing business. Yeah. Southern California. You in LA or in Orange County?
0: Southern LA, big LA firm. A okay. national client. So my, one of my biggest clients was in Boston and which was actually an agency that ended up getting the, the launch of the Saturn, the, um, sorry, yeah, no, the launch of infinity cars. Okay. So well, they ended up. So, who so was the printer? Campaign.
1: Who's the, pre- I don't, we don't date ourselves here. So, but no, it
0: was George Rice. George Rice. Okay,
1: sure. Actually, I've worked with, I worked with you guys um, back yeah. in my agency days. I
0: right, spent about right,
1: 60% right. of my time in the advertising agency business and, right. and whether I was um, worked for a variety of firms as well as my own. And, and George Rice was certainly, uh, you know, we always thought about, if I'm not mistaken, it was George Rice for, certainly for annual reports and big right. beautiful color runs and things like that. Oh, so when, Let's talk about your business for a second. And then we're going to move into kind of this idea of your training and your coaching. So, when you think about growing your business, 26 years. First of all, congratulations. That's that's fantastic. But you know, if we've learned anything, especially in the last several years, you know, it's we're always walking on eggshells. We don't know what's going to happen. Don't know what's going to happen. So, what are what are your challenges? As growing your business, you know, throughout 2021, and and as you see, as a as a business owner for 2022, and you know, are any of these kind of keeping you up at night and worrying about them?
0: Right. Yeah, and and it's interesting. And what what translates for me on that, Angela, is I worry about my salespeople that I'm working with. I didn't lose any clients when COVID started, which was a big deal. And most of, as you probably have, most of my clients were open because they were essential business. So right now I have 12 clients and some are manufacturing, some are distribution, some are, I do have one financial, I have a marketing firm. So they were all open. So I got to go see them and continue the relationships, which was really good. Um, I did get some new clients who were really struggling with how to make sales calls during the pandemic because no one would see anyone. So that was kind of a unique fit for me Mm -hmm. to figure out how to help them bridge the gap between virtual and and engagement you know, where you have some contacts. So I've always relied on my network. Um, I'm I'm good at it. I mostly like it. Sometimes it's, you know, ugh, but <laughs> mostly I like it, but I'm really good at connecting people. I'm good at, at, at thinking about how the parts fit together. So, you know, where does Angela fit with my clients and how do I connect? You and I are in a networking group together and a lot of those people have been helpful with my clients because they bring an expertise I don't have on the accounting side or the legal side, I don't have those skills clearly, but um, um, so it, it's been okay. I do a monthly newsletter. Um, I do a lot of um, LinkedIn, you know, I do the normal connecting stuff, but my business is all referrals and networking. And, and someone who's like you, who finds a client that needs sales structure or needs to take your architecture program and your marketing plan and, and, and turn it into action I'm am good at taking the concept and the plan and turning it into action. Because a lot of people can set a goal, but they don't know what to do to get it to go.
1: Right. There's a statistic that I've used in the past, and it's like 90% of all plans fail due to poor implementation.
0: And, yeah. It's and you true. can
1: plan to death, but if you don't implement it, and that's always interesting. I I've I've had some clients where I'll work on their plans and go through my process and you know, months of doing the due diligence and researching the market and the competition and all this. And then they hand it over to the junior person and say that we're going to execute it internally. And and guaranteed in a few months, none of that, none of everything, all the stuff we just worked on will never exist. You know, one of the questions, you know, when I get a phone call a lot of times it'll, and it's been more frankly, cut I think because of COVID starts off with, Hey, we need help. We need strategy work. We need messaging, but you know, I get a fair number of calls. They start off with tactics, and and they recognize that maybe tactically they've got a problem. And my goal is to try to show them that it's yes, you got a problem, but it's not the actual tactic. It's all the messaging and all the other stuff that's feeding the tactic that's wrong. In in your experience, when does a, a a business owner get a aha? I need Leslie. When do they get to that point where they understand that they're just struggling?
0: Yeah, um, excellent question. Let me back up a second. I think one of the, I do a lot of sales training, and I know there's statistics on that too, that 90% of salespeople have never had any formal training. So whatever the number is, it's a lot. One of the things I teach is you got to create a goal, you have to have a plan, and you have to have a timeline, and they have to work together because a lot of people do exactly what you said. I'm going to double my sales but they have no idea how to actually do it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: To break it down into action items. So I do a lot of that presentation over and over again. So that's one thing, but what, what I usually find is they call me and they, they either have a new market they want to open and they don't have the bandwidth to manage it or build it. They aren't happy with the current sales management. I do often work with an existing sales manager and we tag team and I augment their efforts and And we do it together, which is great because I have the content and that person knows the team, but that person also, and you know, this too, they often promote their best sales rep who is not a trainer or a leader, right? It's a really good rainmaker. And that's a really bad strategy. So that, that rainmaker says, do it like I do it, but they don't know how to download their skill set to other people and customize it to each person. And we know each person does things their own way and needs to be supported individually. So often the owner is not happy with the result or the numbers or the profit, and they think they're doing everything right, but they don't know what to change to reach the goals they have. So then they say, okay, I need somebody else to come in and look behind the curtain and tell me what we're not doing right, what we can change, what we can improve. Um, I hate the word, you know, hold the sales reps accountable, but, how do we create an environment where the salespeople want to excel and grow and not be stagnant?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Everybody can do that.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting um, in this observation of, of expectations. I, I was engaged with a company and and they, you know, part of my due diligence was to walk around and meet everybody and and then, so I'm meeting the VP of sales and I see on his wall there's 12 salespeople and there was a goal for this year. And I said, so how'd you get to that revenue goal? And it was like, oh, I just added 10% from last year. I go, yeah, but how are you going to get there? And and so that question couldn't be answered. Then I said, okay, you've got 15 salespeople. Uh, Who's been here the longest? And he told me. I said, who's been here the shortest? And he told me. So 15 years, three months. I said, so how can they both have the same revenue goals when you've got an inexperienced person?" So when I actually talked to the guy that had been there for three months, I said, so how was the onboarding? He said, well, they, they gave me a catalog on Monday and on Wednesday, they told me to get out and start selling. And so the, all these different things went along when it, and it came down to sales and I was in there really trying to understand the dynamics and the marketing and the relationships with sales and marketing. We're going to talk about that. And what I found was that there was no plans. The plans were coming out of thin air and there was no r- rhyme nor reason and logic behind a lot of the strategy work. And, and so, you know, I made my recommendations and et cetera, et cetera, and, and, and w- worked with that company for like 18 months and developing all their, their strategic work. So gets back to when is that recognition? And to your point, I, I, it's, they get unhappy, right? It's, it's like, oh, I, we wanted to be whatever, $10 million. We only yeah. hit seven. I'm going to blame somebody else. And and so that realization in that kind of deconstruction or, or analysis that, that I believe you're doing to really let's put it all on paper. Let's figure out where the problems really are, and then let's rebuild it back up. Is that kind of what you're doing?
0: Yes. And and one of the things I have the same challenge you, you observed there is people put a goal up. They they put a goal they want to achieve, but they have no idea how to get there. And it's not backed up with information. So what I like to do is review. Every account with so each sales rep has an account list and I know how much revenue that each account has purchased from said company. And let's say they bought $80,000 and I ask the sales rep, OK, what does it look like for them in 2022? And the sales rep will say, I don't know, because the sales rep hasn't asked any questions. Mm-hmm. So that, that session turns into, OK, here's what I want to know from the client. Mr. Client, what does your year look like? How can ABC distribution support your business better? What would we do to grow our market share within an account? What other products are you bringing on? And but you have to interview the client, the salespeople, to learn what's going on in the client. And if you get that information and you you learn how to how to do a needs assessment on a client, you can bring that back to the team, to the den, and say, okay, this guy's growing, this guy's shrinking. Here's my numbers, and then I can give it to a sales manager, and a sales manager could say, there's 10 accounts that are going to grow. And there's 3 that they're going to shrink, and it nets eight percent. But I have then I have numbers because I've evaluated my market and my account base, and then I put in on top of that seven percent, and then I'm going to grow. I'm going to add a hundred thousand in new business to be determined. Leslie's going to help me prospect, and I'm going to add new business.
1: Right.
0: But, and okay. I've done this in so many environments where 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 owners have no idea how to put together a goal or a plan.
1: Yeah, well, exactly, and 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 you didn't use the word, but I'm going to, and it's uh-huh. research, right? It's getting yeah. out and asking right. the questions. Do you find a lot of times, and, and and I do, in in dealing with some of the sales folks that they're almost a, af- I'm gonna get a lot of hate mail on this one. They're no, almost right. afraid they to ask the question because it's like I got this renewal, I know what I'm gonna get, I don't right. want to ask or. If I ask, then potentially I'm exposing myself. And if I ask if there's more business or a way to get more business or referrals. And so I find a lot of time that they're just okay with the status quo instead of trying to figure out how to grow. Right. There's I I, I look at I have three simple things I always talk about. Right. Sell more to the people you're already selling to sell for more, raise some prices, which is always a little iffy. Or sell two more, which means looking at new markets and new opportunities. And those are just like three simple things that I always like to use as, you know, kind of the litmus test of saying, how can we get more business? If you don't know what your reoccurring revenue is going to be, you need to ask. And I, and that's what you're saying, right?
0: Yes. And I agree. A lot of salespeople I work with are, are wimps. But on the other hand, they haven't been... Uh, trained or, or we, there hasn't been a discussion about how to ask and how to, how to respectfully connect with clients and learn more about their business. And I have a three piece of pie pie chart, same as yours, more business from existing customers, which means sell to more people. Mm-hmm. I also work a lot on what, why did business go away? And where did it go? So went back, lost customers and then find new business. So those are my three prongs. A lot of times, business goes away and people don't know why there's another statistic that for every problem you have with the client you have 25 more clients with the same problem that never say anything and i happen to have a husband when we go out to eat he will never send food back because he's a really nice guy i send stuff back but he won't want to go there again but he'll never tell anybody so when you start losing business you have to find out why because you might have a problem invoicing delivery time Bad packaging. Uh, the girl at the, at the answers the phones a snot, which happens a lot. The phone system doesn't work. Anyway, so you have to figure out where the business went and why, and then work on that, which sometimes is marketing because you're not doing a good job of creating the brand so people remember who you are. But so you got to understand where the business is going away, and then you got to you got to penetrate existing accounts, which is what you said, and then you got to prospect. So right. I agree with you that exactly what you said. Yeah, I have
1: a different uh, kind of three-pronged two as well that I I use in descriptors, and that's renew, recapture, and acquire. I like it. Yeah. So those those are kind of the three buckets, right? If if I'm sitting and I want to be whatever, $10 million next year, I start with what percentage of our business is going to come from renewals and whether it's just a pure renewal or can we grow, right? So then that recapture, did you have an account? Did you lose an account? Why, Why did we lose them? Can we get any of that back? And then you know, A plus B equals C, and and then you know the difference between what your revenue goals are, and the rest becomes new business acquisition. And then what are the strategies for that? And, well, and, I, and let I, me I, let
0: me let me add to that, Angela. Sometimes people say I want to grow ten percent, and and again they either have facts about that, or they make the number up, like you said with that that other client. And, but they don't calculate they're going to lose four percent for reasons they can't control. So they really have to grow fourteen percent to net 10 and they don't think about it properly. So their goal's too low because they're not accounting for attrition and lost business. Mm-hmm. So well, it really needs to be a, anyway a bigger goal to, to net what they want.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things I, I would advise companies is, is, is kind of as in the last quarter, you know, as COVID we, we assumed was kind of closing down is when you start looking at your business and your growth, you have to not only look at your client, but you have to understand their market because- right they might be doing what we're talking about saying, okay, I'm going to lose 5%. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to grow in one area. We're going to have some trouble over here. We're going to be down a bit. And, and so you have to understand that the entire dynamics of, of their business as well, right. you know, you just can't say, I'm selling to a manufacturing company and providing services and helping them grow. They might be chasing a market that's been, you know, extremely impacted. If our total market was restaurants, <laughs> for example, we would yeah. have been in trouble. But can you take those same products and services and sell someplace else? I, you know, and some people like in the alcoholic beverage industry that no longer were people coming into the bars or ordering wine. A lot of the, the brands themselves started working with the restaurants to, to get set up uh, to go cocktails right. and things like that. Right. So they had to be very, very innovative.
0: And, and the other thing I agree with you on is, is a lot of the sales reps I work with, I, 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 I remind them to diversify their verticals on who they sell to because one of my clients um has a lot of uh, travel cruises and a lot of entertainment and they didn't have a great they're building they're doing great now because it's coming back but if you've got to have your feet your your tentacles in more industries because the COVID's not the first time this has happened it just happened at 9 11 when 9 11 travel stopped you know a lot of industries took a big break. So we've got to be diversified with our energy. And I had a a guy on the phone yesterday I work with, and he's calling on a lot of gaming, which is big, but he's calling on accounts that he's never going to get. And so I'm trying to help him understand, put your efforts in the right spot because we are all really selling time. Mm -hmm. And if you're investing your time as a sales rep on commission, You've got to be able to figure out who gets my hour, who gets my my hundred dollar an hour time, because I've only got so much of it to, to sell, to spend on people that aren't going to buy from me. So I know it's, it's, I got off on the weeds there, but this well, guy is, is barking up trees. He has no business doing because he's never going to get it.
1: So let's let's dissect that a little bit, because I find this interesting, because a lot of times people will chase business. It yeah. makes no sense. So right. h- how do you work with this person, for example? And first of all, what, what's the conclusion that the business that he's chasing, he's never going to get? Is it too big for him, too small? They don't have the right services. What? How do you sit there and say, OK, Mr. Salesperson,
0: yeah.
1: this is yeah. not a good market for you. This is not a good industry. And here's why. How do you approach that?
0: Yeah. And, and his his dynamic is he has a relationship there with somebody, which is a big deal because we want it. We, you know, if you have that going, then you're kind of in already. He's at a new company that isn't quite as nimble and aggressive as the place he was at before. The owner who I I, I speak to regularly doesn't really want to mix up. I don't want to overshare mix up the pricing so much. Mm-hmm. So what you have to deal with, I said to this guy, you've got to understand where you're working, who you're working for, and what this particular kooky client wants. And the, the client wants really specific discounted pricing that this owner does not have an appetite for. And and you have to, and I've worked with places where there is that appetite to just get it. And this this owner doesn't have that. He's a little more conservative. He's not so much of ruffling feathers. He doesn't want to rock the boat so much. So I said to this guy, you've got to be more thoughtful about where you are with regard to the environment you're in and who you can bring to the table for negotiation. Who meaning the client. So just because it worked last year at another company doesn't mean you can bring it where you are. Right. So this homework he has a big list of prospects. This guy's homework. I said, you go through this list, and you've got 40 names here. I want 10 that fit the criteria of where you're working now, and let's start with those 10. Because that one you're 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 working on hard is not going to work at this time. You know, you,
1: you mentioned um, price, and I, and I, I always question. You know, is it really priced? And, and I'll even talk from my own perspective. So, you know, I, I've been, you know, pitching a client, and last year actually is a great example. So I'm going through this due diligence, blah blah blah. I get, I, I get an email, and 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 Mike's my, my attitude is, I don't want an email. I want to understand why, why I didn't get picked. So I call this particular individual, and and they said, look, we love your services. We love everything you had to say. But, you know, it was price. You were just more expensive than the other people. And, my, and normally I say, okay, fine, I get it. But this time I went, well, let me ask you a question. If I'm so fantastic, but it was only price, why didn't you come back and negotiate with me? And and, and they were dumbfounded. They didn't know how to answer me because I called them out on it. And over the that. years, prices, and I tell I tell people, I said, in my opinion, when someone says you lost because of price, it's never really the reason because if they wanted you or that your service or your product was the best, they would have figured out a way to come back and at least try to negotiate before they threw you out the door. Is, is that your experience too, or am I, am I unique?
0: <laughs> you're, you're definitely unique. That's for sure. But you're right. And there are seven objections that I encounter over and over again. And And, and what I learned is every industry has the same objections. I, I just, they have a different nuance. So your price is too high. I'm really happy with the vendors I have. I don't need anybody. I don't have time. I'm not the right buyer. Um, you're not in the right location. Sometimes it's not really an objection. It's more of a stall. Um, I had a bad experience. I worked with you last year and you're a jerk, which I know, you know, you might have heard that. <laughs> um And, um, you know, I had that experience in you you don't have the capacity I need. You're too big. You're too small. I need a, you know, I need a global marketing brand thing, but, and and the new one now, which is number seven is uh, we have COVID. I can't meet with you. We're not taking any in-person meetings. We're not working from the office. It's been a big challenge the last year or two because clients can say, I'm not at the office and you can't really call them out on it. Mm -hmm. And you're lucky if they'll get on a Zoom call with you because they don't want to be on camera. So it's turned into the whole new uh, process of overcoming that objection. I agree with you. If people want to work with you, they'll figure out how to do it. They will figure out the price and negotiate. They will suck it up and do it anyway. They will cut back their program to accommodate your fee. If they want you to have the project, they they will figure out how to do it. The challenge though in that, if you're not, if you don't have a strong enough relationship yet, you might have to do more relationship building to get to the point where you are the first choice. Right. And that doesn't happen overnight. It's a long, you know, it's a long process to build that track record where they want you to win. They want your services and they want you. So they figure out how to, how to build the deck. So you get it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's always, you know, the, this process. I mean, I've been at this a long time. Yeah. And, and, you know, you win some, you lose some, and then that just happens. And, and, and I've heard actually probably never the jerk one, but I've yeah. heard a lot of the other ones, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um,
0: it was just an example. Just an example.
1: I know. I know. I know. I'm trying to, my, my brain's racking No, I've never, I've never been, no, you no. know what? I've lost business and, and you actually uh, mentioned it earlier on when we had our agency, we lost business one time, because of our billing process
0: yeah it
1: was so difficult and in our in in the way it was working our parent company really messed stuff up and we lost the business because of it we you know i've gotten phone calls that hey your receptionist is rude to me those kinds of things i mean it 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 does it does happen or the person you assigned to my account i just don't like him anymore
0: yeah Um,
1: and 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 i had (laughs) yeah so um but you know you you i think it was one of your newsletters you mentioned that 60% of the deals are lost due to no decision.
0: Yeah. And, so and, we could talk about that yeah, a little bit. Yeah, backing up a little bit, I, I did a, uh, I do a lot of seminars and conferences. Some, I'm actually got a live one on the books. I'm so excited in, in Minneapolis, but I, I did one in San Diego a few years ago for some. It was um, printing, a uh, printing uh, trade association, but it was this, the financial end of it who hate salespeople, right? They just think salespeople are like, you know, pariah. Anyway, and then they they, they were asking me and I and they they said, one guy said, this is, I just love these stories. So we did a survey of our clients and they said that the, the guy in the art department to keep it simple was a jerk. And I said, well, what did you do? He goes, well, nothing because it was the owner's son. <laughs> like, well, you know what? What you have to do is listen to the feedback people. If you get feedback, somebody actually has the courage to tell you the receptionist is a snot. You have to listen because there are people who won't say it anyway. So that, that's what you're to your point. You have to listen to the negative feedback or don't ask.
1: Well, and and that's, you know, the, the interesting part of research. And and I've been in this situation before where we go through yeah. these due diligence, you show them the, <clears throat> the findings and they go, well, we don't believe it or we don't listen yeah. to it. Yeah. I worked on um, a program. It, it was uh, for Fox and they were looking at launching a new, new show in the action sports industry. And, so all that the fox folks from New York were out and you know wearing their ties and here we were you know action sports and we did all these focus groups and at the end you know we gave them our recommendation and they said well you know what those kids don't know what they're talking about and they, that's just, the they didn't they're... listen to anything.
0: Yeah, right. right.
1: And, and and the show by the way was launched and and failed within 6 months. So yeah. So part of this, and and we talked about it earlier, it's about asking questions, it's about about understanding it, and it's about processing that, you know, trying to get at it without a filter. And a lot of times that's why we're hired, because we're the third party, we're asking questions, I have no vested interest, whether they like you, or they don't like you, right? Versus a salesperson asking their customers questions, and they potentially get defensive or sound like they're trying to sell something. Right. Another line that I, I really liked and I thought it was interesting of yours is said, um, you know, talking about pain points and said, you know, don't tell them the pain points that they already know. If you're trying to prove yourself as a trusted advisor at that point in time, you're like a tape recorder. You're just regurgitating stuff that that they already know. And you said, let's introduce them to the unconsidered needs. So I really like that. But but that requires what we're talking about research and digging in and understanding. So for the listeners, what, explain that and give some guidance for that.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and and one of the things I'm pretty good at is, is when I'm in an, an existing client, I'm good at spotting other places where I can have an impact, which is called upselling, right? Duh. But an example would be that person that you talked about who had the catalog and then they sent him out the door. One of my clients, um, one of my big clients is hiring young new salespeople and they have absolutely no onboarding or training program. So I'm in there coaching the top reps. I'm augmenting the sales meetings with the other sales manager. And I said to them, let me do this onboarding training program because you don't have the structure and the bandwidth to do it. And so what you're going to do is turn these young people out into the marketplace and it isn't going to work. So I put together well, I already had it, but for them, I customized this training program for them where I'd meet with this, there was a three of these younger people under, you know, young, there's under 30. There were three of these people and we'd meet once a week and have a sales meeting and do training and talk about opportunities and do homework. And they had to look up their competition. They had to do a presentation and we had all these skills, soft skills they had to do. So one of the things, a lot of clients that I find don't even understand, don't even know where their weak spots are. So as a consultant like you and me, we need to go in and say, oh, that's I'm not helping the accounting department, but you've got a problem with invoicing. So I don't need to fix it. I'm just telling you there's a problem. Mm -hmm. There's a problem with the phone system. There is this is working good. This is not. I had this same big company privately held about one hundred million dollars in L.A., and he was having a team, a, a company meeting for the holidays with sandwiches or something and it's so interesting to me and he's been in the business a long time he said to me I'm I'm not sure what to say at this luncheon and for me I could just you know and I said I said one of the most important things is to thank the clients because the people that work for you make it so the clients want to keep coming back and all the people they have 200 employees there all those employees make a difference to the client And he said, you're right. So he was going to talk about the the fact that they were blessed to have so many clients that like them, but we we have to remember it it, just because it comes in the door doesn't mean the client wants to experience it again. So we have to make that experience good. And I'm good at poking holes in that and saying, this is good. This isn't good. You know, so, so I'm good at kind of troubleshooting where I can add value that they don't even see because they're in it they're they're you know they're myopic right
1: then- well well exactly right it's it's working in the business not on the business and right. and and really understanding and and you had a great point and i I've, I've said this before to folks it's you know it's about the people yeah. you have a great product great service but if your people are not doing and contributing or they don't understand their role i find so many times that the dynamics within an organization the people know their function yeah but they don't understand the impact it has on the rest of the organization. And that's one of the things I, I like to look at things holistically and say, you know, it's important. Is it, a great point. So I and I've said this story before. If my listeners will hear it again. Yeah. Sitting at a meeting and we're kind of rah-rahing and 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 the head guy says to the head of sales, "What's your big wish for today?" And he goes, "I want a million-dollar order." And you know, hey, everybody's cheering. Uh, yeah. And I said, "Time out." I turned to manufacturing and said, if you got a million dollar order today, can we fulfill it? And the answer was no. Right. So, you know, it's back to not all business is good business. And we have to understand that. I'm actually going through this with, with a, a the, the client that I'm working with now. We're chasing clients that if we get a couple orders, it eats up all the capacity, which means everybody else, there's not, nothing we can do without new equipment. And so yeah. those are dynamics that we have to deal with It's not just marketing it's not just sales it's operations it's production it's inventory everybody has to work together you know to ultimately have the business be successful and that's where i think a lot of times leadership they're connected but but they're not they're not down they don't understand all the nuances right because they're they're off doing other things and i think that's you know a bigger cha- a bigger change and, and and so my question where i'm going with this is how is the Buying process in the market now in the B2B world. How has that changed due to COVID? Due to digital transformation? How is you know the old days of going out knocking on a door? You know, having a drop drop in right, bringing a box of donuts. All that stuff has changed. The whole process of selling has changed.
0: Right. Um, So one of the things that's happening in the manufacturing from uh, my end is is uh, the supply chain. So. A lot of the clients you and I know about in this print world can't get paper. So mm-hmm. changing in the buying process is the clients are saying, <clears throat> I want to give you a $50,000 order. And if you can give, give me paper, they're not saying this. They don't care about the price anymore because they just want the brochure or the marketing campaign or the outdoor billboard you know, campaign. So what they're saying to the salespeople, which is really new in the last year if you can get me paper, I'll buy from you and just give it to me. So it's changed the price objection, um, but w- I'm really problematic with supply chain because there the a couple of mills shut down a couple of years ago. And so there wasn't very good supply chain before. And and this is in the weeds in the industry. I work a lot in. that's why I'm, you know, I'm educated about it. So I understand. But one of my guys, back me, crying, he couldn't get, he couldn't get the stock and he had to turn the job away because somebody in the Midwest had it, had the paper. Mm-hmm. There was nothing he could do. It wasn't like he messed up. And so that's and that's happening in some of the other networking friends we have. It's happening with steel. It's happening with wood. Um, I've got a furniture manufacturer. They can't get products. So some of these limitations in in the supply chain are impacting the way people buy and therefore the way people sell. And we're stuck there as, as salespeople a little farther. I have another, I'm going to make a note. I have another story for you. Um, we're, we're, we're stuck there as salespeople responding to the environment around us. And what I find from successful salespeople is they figure out how to morph and invent themselves, reinvent themselves, change the market, figure out a way. One of my clients has brought in three people to source product, to source uh, substrates. Because he know, and he's got a, he he, bought, he he rented a warehouse, Angelo, to put paper in when he gets an order, because then he doesn't have to say no.
1: Right. Well, Which, actually, ironically, a friend of mine is a paper salesman. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So I'll, okay, introduce, no. I'll introduce you, but, you know, it's funny, uh, you know, a few years <laughs> ago, it, it, you know, digital change printing, right? We, a lot of people right. weren't printing and there would, I mean, there were times when he'd be like knocking on doors, trying to sell paper. He couldn't give it away. Right. Now, now we can't fulfill all the orders right. because, you know, there's so much demand and, and the paper shortage and stuff like that. So I even right. tried to hit him up the other day for one of my clients and he just said, I, we, I can't, I don't have that product and I can't find it for you. So I know, uh, I very know. interesting. I want to be conscious of our time because we're, we're going to, we're coming towards the I end. want to you tell gotta, one story though. Yeah, Let me tell let's hear story the story. I love me. stories. Tell me a story. Okay.
0: So one of the things I tell salespeople, and this has come from depending on the environment you're in, a lot of salespeople react to incoming stimulus, a phone call, an email, like, oh, so I call that the tail, the the dog wagger, the tail wagger. So I have one of my slides is a dog, and it has a head of a dog and a dog and a tail, right? It's like a dog. And it points to the tail, and it points to the head of the dog. And, And a lot of salespeople are tail waggers. They are, and you know, you even see those police dogs wagging their tail when they're chewing on some bad guy, which, you know, I love that. But anyway, the dog is so excited because they're they're working. But I want the salespeople I work with to be the head of the dog. Be strategic. Be thoughtful. Do you know your client's market? Do you understand how your client sells their product or service? Do you understand your client's goals and objectives? Are you thinking about, back to your point, what else can you help them with that they don't even know they need help with? Do you can, like some of the people we network with? Angelo have those kind of retention bonuses and um, golden handcuffs and stuff like that. What can you do to to incentivize your clients to give you more work? Mm-hmm. What can you do to incentivize your top salespeople to stay? What can you do to build a better brand, which is your deal? Um, so my salespeople always are challenged to be thinking, not just reacting. And when you're thinking you're building strategy and and then it turns into a plan, but it isn't transactional. And I've been doing that for years. And luckily, I'm still doing it because people, you know, are slower to get it. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, no, <laughs> they well, get, oh, my God, I got a quote. I got a quote. OK, why are you quoting it? Why did they call? What is the buying criteria? What do you have to do to get the work? What questions are you asking? I didn't ask any questions. I just turned it, the proposal in. Okay. What do you have to do to get the work? I don't, I got one guy, he got on a list of Sony um, and he got on the top 10. I said, okay, well, how do you get to be number two? I don't know. So you're really number 10. They just had a number and you're on there. You have no idea how to get work. He goes, you're right. I said, so what did you get? Nothing. You learned nothing from this client about how to get work. What do you have to do to move the ball? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I tell my salespeople, you be the head of the dog, be the brain, not the tail wagger. Okay. So
1: let's, let's do this. We're, we're kind of coming down to an end. Uh, I could certainly continue this conversation uh, for a long time, but um, I know that uh, usually around uh, about this time, people are ready to. They, they've driven their they're di- they've driven from Orange County to Los Angeles, right? Yes, they're so, like, I'm getting
0: out of the car now. Wrap it up, you guys. Yeah,
1: wrap it up, you guys. I'm done listening <laughs> to you. So let's do this before we <clears throat> before we sign off. Give me some your top five suggestions or tips to whatever they are. Make somebody a better salesperson. Way to approach an account. You pick it, but let's let's give the audience some takeaways Take that they could put into yeah. action today.
0: Um, never stop prospecting because I meet salespeople that have a really good book of business and they stop prospecting and they lose an account and they're down and they're starting over and it's really hard to start over. The biggest mistake salespeople make is they don't prospect enough. Make that's one, two, make sure you're prospecting in the right field farm business. Do you have the right prospects? Do you know what the right prospect is? The other thing is make a good plan for follow-up. How many touches do you need to build your brand and create momentum and, and engage with somebody? It's not one or two. It might be 10 or 15. And I have I keep track of that with some salespeople. And there's different numbers. But, you know, it's probably 8 to 15 touches. Newsletter.
1: Yeah, I say 7 to 12.
0: Yeah, same. So, but it's not two. So if you stop there, you're wasting all of your time. I'd rather have, here's three, I'd rather have salespeople have 40 prospects they can touch eight times than 30. I mean, then a hundred they'll touch twice. Ask for a partner, a mentor, a sales buddy to brainstorm with. A sales coach is even better. That would be me. But you know, don't you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of people you work with that have ideas and strategies you haven't in, in, incorporated yet. So par- selling, I love team selling. Team selling, team selling now is really popular. I think it's great because it brings two different brains to the same problem. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, and the other thing is, you just you have to you have to want it. And and I can do a lot with with salespeople and sales teams, but if they don't want to sell and succeed. You know, I, I got nothing. You got
1: to want it. It's got to be in, in there somewhere. Yeah. You, right. I, I want to just touch on one thing. Literally, the word is touch. That's what I want to ask. So I use this chart and I say when, in my presentations when I'm talking to folks, it's going to take seven to 12 and I show them what happens after four touches, five touches. But the, the what I find interesting, and I get your perspective on this, I'll get, well, what do you mean? Is that like seven or 12 emails? Is it phone? And and I try to explain, no, it's a combination of things. I mean, send them an article. You want to just stay in front of them and and make sure that they feel that you're helping to contribute to their business or their needs and not just your own. So,
0: Reed, and that's one of the challenges I have where you come in is a lot of companies I work with don't have very good marketing tools. And so the salespeople have to build their own. Um, Now you look at something like KPMG, they've got white papers, you know, out of their ears. But they don't have any soft selling skills because nobody's ever told them to learn that or work on that. So what I agree with you, I want to have initial I have similar tools. I have an what's a sales cycle, initial contact, you know, first the name on a piece of paper, initial contact, something else. LinkedIn, email, video, white paper about their industry, maybe a story about your industry, supply chain, pricing, turnaround time. The other thing you can do is I have a gal writing her own case studies, problem, solution, outcome, a little Mm -hmm. so people can learn. I did this for them. I can help you too. Give me some results. Give me some ROI. Um, But but you have to have you have to mix up the uh, the hooks I call it to see what people bite on. Somebody may never call you back, but they'll click on an email or vice versa. And so we do have to mix up the bait. And the touches, because we want to drop the brand and our name over and over again, but give them additional information why we are a valued resource. Maybe you send them something they didn't even know. So I agree with everything you said. It's got to be a, it can be a structured campaign, but it also can be super fluid. But I still got to have, you know, 10 and maybe the third one, the fourth one's another phone call. Yeah, exactly. And, there, and there's mixed messages too, Angelo, on the voicemail. I'm not big on leaving a bunch of voicemails because you don't learn anything. So leave one intro email, I mean, voicemail, and then it's up to you, the sales rep, to drive that. The client's not going to, the prospect's not going to call you back. I don't even know who you are.
1: Well, exactly. And that's right. that cold call versus warm call versus hot lead kind of thing, right? Yeah. So, um, well, this has been been fun it's been very educational I'm, I'm sure the audience is uh, gonna get some great uh, tips and out of this uh, conversation and and certainly you know again not to put time frames on us but we've been out there we we kind of know what we're yeah. doing and and yeah. I and I I'm I was you know over the years I, I was never in the creative side right I was on the marketing side so I didn't deal with the printers per se actually uh, the down in orange county I did actually one of my oldest, oldest friends is a guy I met when I was probably only in California for about six months, guy named, and you might know him, guy named Mike Maxine. Do you know Mike? Oh,
0: I know Mike maxney really well.
1: Yeah. So I met Mike literally six months and, you know, yeah. still a friend today. And yeah. um,
0: tell him, tell him, you know me, he was at the dot for a long time.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: He interviewed me before I went to, to Rice and George Rice. And he said to me, I'm going to make you an inside sales rep. And I said, I don't want to do that. He goes, well, I'm not going to take the risk. And so I went to work for George Rice and Sons. And later at one of the industry events, he says, I made a mistake. I said, that's right, Mike, you did.
1: <laughs> well, I will and tell I him that. I was not
0: going to be held back and be an inside sales rep. I was ready to go. You know, Oh, anyway. Yeah. That's funny. Well, that's
1: funny. Because as soon as you said, you know, the printing industry. And again, yeah. I, I go back and I think about, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, we we're talking about printing. And I said, I remember those, you know, phone calls says uh, client's going to go look at the, um, at the proofs at two o'clock in the morning. I know yeah, you need to be there. And it's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Right. I don't,
0: I don't miss that though. I know I had press checks all night. Cause I was selling big work back in the day and the clients want to look at it, which people don't understand because it's weird because it's custom manufacturing is what it is. Yep. And they want to look at it and change what they can. Yeah, hmm. exactly. That's funny. That's yeah. funny.
1: Yeah. yeah. Very funny. Anyway, yep. thank you so much. Why don't you tell the audience about uh, how they can reach you and connect with you and all that good stuff.
0: Thank you. Uh, My website is Green Consulting. It's spelled G-R-O-E-N-E, Grune. It's Gruna. It's Dutch, greenconsulting.com. And uh, my my office number is 657-464-9199. And you can also reach out to Angelo and he can find me as well. So happy to talk and brainstorm and see how we can partner.
1: Okay. And obviously on LinkedIn as well.
0: Obviously on LinkedIn as well. Correct.
1: All right. Leslie, thank you so much. This has been really enjoyable.
0: Okay.
1: All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Leslie, thank you again for stopping by the business growth cafe. That was a really fun educational conversation. I I really enjoyed it. Uh, You know, finding out that we knew so many people together, it was really more fun than I certainly would have anticipated. Um, So I, I really appreciate your time coming in and sharing your knowledge, your tips and tricks and also your experiences and your insights. Thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing you in the networking groups that we belong to in 2022. And I wanna thank you, my listeners, for stopping by as well today. I hopefully you benefited from this great conversation that we had with Leslie. Now, if you're a regular listener, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming back and back again. As you know, we're in our fourth year, actually four and a half years now. So lots of great content that you can go back and listen to. And if you're new to the Business Growth Cafe, thank you for stopping by. I encourage you to subscribe so you can get notified of every time we publish a new show, which is weekly. And again, thank you so much for stopping by. See you next week here at the Business Growth Cafe. A chief marketing officer has both the power and the responsibility to drive long-term strategic growth that can ultimately lead to organizational prosperity. And that growth starts with a vision. What is your firm's definition of success? Growth? How will you strategically work towards expansion, for example? Equally important, what is your customer's perception of your firm? And how well do you meet a need or deliver value? When you begin to align your vision with that of your customer, you build a stronger, lasting relationship with them. You see the whole picture, realizing the lifetime value of that customer, as well as the lifetime value you provide. A CMO must look at success with a strategic mindset, looking beyond the transactional. The CMO must understand the customer journey, utilizing the competitive intelligence, embracing and leveraging your unique market insights. If your business is ready for growth and you need a CMO, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, I'd welcome the opportunity to explore the benefits of using a fractional CMO. To learn more, visit craftmarketingarchitects.com.
0: Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com.